So it's not like I'm just like, if you want to go do it, right? right. Here's the recipe. I, I, I think it requires a high level of self-awareness, uh, a personal growth, maturity to be able to to sustain that in healthy ways. But but I do think as a I think as a culture we need to be just understand that these are these are challenging paths for anybody to navigate or reconcile you know tensions between faith and sexuality, and we just need to kind of love people along the way, tell more stories not less, right? And and let all of these stories kind of nuance and and to some degree complicate. Right, this that we realize that this is not as simple as four letters in an alphabet, and or what your orientation is, or whatever. It's again, humans are complex, humans are different, sexuality is complex, sexuality is different, and um, you know, just sort of honor each person's journey and kind of love them along the way. Hey, before we get started on this week's episode of the Cultural Hall, I need to give you uh, a little bit of information. Can I? Shall I? Should I? Might I? Uh, Remember that this is brought to you by the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. It begins next week, September 8th. You can register at leadingsaints.org forward slash LGBT or text the word LEAD to the number 474747. Kurt Frankham would sure appreciate it. And he's paying for me to tell you guys about it, so he'd appreciate it even more. But I would probably do it for free. Don't tell him, though because he already paid his money and I'm not giving the money back to him. Uh, There's more than 20 presenters who have professional experience. They've got personal stories, leadership perspectives that'll help all of us to be better prepared to minister to LGBT Latter-day Saints. So check that out. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or leadingsaints.org forward slash LGBT. Now, I just got to tell you about this real quick, because Ty and I, we played a little bit of a prank on uh, on Kurt Frankum, we uh, we got done with this interview, and we were so, sort of all in a group chat. And uh, Ty said, "Oh my gosh, that was a train wreck. Boy, that's an interview that will never see the light of day." And I called him out in the same message, and I'm like, "Oh, you're just being a coward, Ty. You're just being an absolute coward." And uh, Kurt Frankum over at Leading Saints was like, "What? What happened, you guys?" So now he gets to listen in the same time that you get to listen. A never before heard episode of the Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall where we visit with Ty Mansfield. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things uh, today, and I want to start here. And I don't know that, Ty, that you even remember this or that you know this, but back in the year 2000 and, ooh, let me look at this, 2012. Uh, I sent you a message on Facebook. Do you have any recollection of this? I do. I do. We had a bit, little bit of a back and forth that never quite connected. I said, I'd like to visit with you on the Culture Hall. Check it out. Let me know what you think. And you said, yeah, sure. I've listened a little. What do you want to talk about? And then I awkwardly make my way <laughs> through this. And so I am throwing myself up on the altar to be ridiculed. But I say in my I'm trying to engage and be uh, not only sensitive, but also appropriate. I'm like, as I understand it, uh, you are married, but have homosexual tendencies. Uh, Hopefully I have the right Ty Mansfield. Otherwise, this just got awkward. Anyway, we'd like to visit with you and your wife. And that's back in 2012. So I don't blame you that that offering from me uh, didn't get us together. But today... We are together. 
Uh, call it a coincidence of fate or likely more that we just have a lot of time because of coronavirus. But we also need to give a huge plug uh, to Kurt Frankum over at Leading Saints. He's putting together this LGBT Saints virtual summit. It begins September 8th, and you can get more information about it by going to leadingsaints.org forward slash LGBT or text the word LEAD the number 474747. Now, I've also said you could text the word LED to the number 474747, and, and he immediately, when I did that in another episode, said, hey, LED and LEAD are not spelled the same. And I said, well, they are if you're talking about the metal. And he said, don't confuse people. Just tell them to text the word LEAD to 474747. It's more than 20 presenters who have professional experience, personal stories, and leadership perspectives that help all of us be better prepared to minister to LGBT Latter-day Saints. Ty, that is literally the longest intro I've ever done on one of these episodes. <laughs> Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, I, I guess we start with you. I also want to make sure that we tell people about North Star, what that is. Um, we recently, in an episode that we had with Skylar and Amanda Sorensen, uh, Skylar mm. mentioned that he uh, really loves the work that you do. But before we get even into that, I want to know, a brief uh, kind of history of you, of your, of your, you, of your Eunice. Of my Eunice? Where do you want me to, how far back do we, do you want me to start? Well, I mean, I always find it interesting to know kind of where you were born and raised quickly, just because I feel like that sort of defines how we are as far as the church goes, if we're converts. But then I think for most people, they're kind of interested in, all right, so he's gay, but married. What's up with that? Right. So I was born and raised in Northern Utah in a, a city outside of Ogden called Roy, mm -hmm. and um, was there until, other than a, a brief stint where we lived in Japan for part of my dad's work. Oh, uh, what's your dad do that took you to Japan? That's cool. Uh, he worked for a company that was a military contractor. Okay. So okay. We lived on a base, but we weren't military. Yeah. Uh, we were in Okinawa, Japan for about three years. Which, and... which if you're of a certain age, the only thing you know about Okinawa is that that's where Back to, or not Back to the Future, Karate Kid 2... Yeah. They yes. go to Okinawa. That's the that's yeah. literally my knowledge of Okinawa. <laughs> yes. Um, so we lived there for about three years, which was which was a beautiful experience. How uh, old were you then? I was fifth through seventh grade. Okay, so pretty formative years, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then uh, came back here and jumped into the awkward years of junior high school here in Utah. Yeah, which are awkward in and of itself. But I would imagine where, you know, being gay, that's probably where you start to go. I'm I don't know that I'm feeling the same way that other people are feeling or you start to, you know, see see difference anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty in denial. So that wasn't even on my on my radar at that yeah. point. <laughs> um, so I lived there until I was 18, went to school at BYU, uh, was, you know, did my freshman year at BYU. Um convergence of stories is where I initially met my wife, but we actually didn't get to know each other. I just met her briefly. I was friends with her brother that year. Went on my mission. Uh, Where'd you serve? New Hampshire, Manchester mission. Oh, that's gorgeous. I was in New Hampshire in the fall time, and there is literally nothing like that place in the fall. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. Uh, and, and Maine is beautiful in its own way. There's a little bit more evergreen uh -huh. in Maine. You can get quite the colors that you do in New Hampshire and Vermont, but it's really beautiful. Yeah. And it and it is like every postcard or like 5,000 piece puzzle that you put together. <laughs> it is that striking and stunning. Yeah, it really is. 
So I spent two years there, came back, uh, graduated from BYU um, uh, with the, actually a degree in Asian studies and with it, minor. With influenced minor. by your time in, uh, in Japan? Not really. I was more interested in China. Oh. Uh, Japan was sort of interesting, but I, I mean, I don't know that I quite connected with the culture, but China had always fascinated me. Hmm. So, so graduated with the intent to go uh, work for the State Department and moved out east, lived in D.C. for a couple of years, uh, wanting to kind of getting ready to take the foreign service exam, et cetera. Felt a pull to change gears and went back to school in marriage and family therapy did my master's and my doctorate in marriage and family therapy, and then never saw myself coming back to Utah, but via a number of factors, ended up back here where I teach part-time at BYU and then have a full-time family therapy practice here in uh, Provo, Utah. So you talk about that, uh, you know, that going into like middle school, whatever, that you're like, ah, that's not even on my radar. So when did being gay, you know, when do we start to get the little ping? And it's like, it's five knots out. And then you're like, oh, it's getting closer or, or to, to come full front with that? I think that there were resonances. I, I wouldn't have given it words. And if somebody asked me if I was gay or homosexual or whatever, I mean, I lived back in a time pre-Ellen, pre-Will and Grace, where it was just a, a very different culture. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was a lot more shame around it. There was a lot more of the extreme stereotypes that people associated with mm -hmm. homosexuality. So, uh, and, I, and I saw myself as very different than that and, and really distant. I don't know that I really thought it, because it wasn't really on the radar here in Utah, right? Kind right. of a conservative small town, but it was definitely not something that I associated with, with whatever I knew about it. And so, um, and, but at the time I also thought, okay, whatever the, whatever it is that I'm feeling, I'm just, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to go on a mission. I have a, I have a really early memory uh, in my mind, it's a memory, but I think it must be a dream or something where I was in, I was riding in the car with my dad and I asked him about gay people. And he said in my memory, which with the way my dad responded later, I don't think it was, you know, it just feels the feeling was very different in this memory. And he said, well, lots of gay people get married and, you know, have kids and families like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so in my mind, it just, it didn't matter what it was, whatever it was, I knew what I wanted. And that was to get married and have kids and have a family. Now, you say that that was very different from how he actually responded years later. So what was that experience like when when you had that opportunity to speak to your father? Well, so when my this kind of comes back to the mission. So when my my dad, uh, my parents are divorced. So my dad and my stepmom came and picked me up for my mission. Ah. And we, you know, we toured new, we kind of spent some time touring the mission, then went back uh, into New York or went out, you know, west to New York and did some of the church history stuff came back through Boston and then we were going to, you know, drive back up and fly out of New Hampshire. And the one day we spent in Boston just happened to be gay pride day. Huh. Or it was the day of the gay pride parade. Sure. And so, you know, we're trying to get to the aquarium and we're walking through streets with lots of boa, feather boas. And I mean, it was just <laughs> very much. And, and the, what we saw in the parade was very much represented that kind of extreme stereotype, right? Lots of leather, lots of thongs, just lots of, eccentricity right mm -hmm. but we didn't talk about it it just all felt kind of awkward and we you know we're on the subway with hustle along let's get to the aquarium get, get to, to the, the aquarium. aquarium so years later when i did open up to my dad he said you know i mean i sent any i sent i gave them a letter and then basically at the end of the letter said you know when you're when you want to 
when you're ready to talk about it, call me. Interesting. Hold on. Pause there. Why, why a letter? Why not the, why not the in-person discussion? Because I think I wanted to give them the full story before they reacted. Ah. So that they were, then they had time to process that sure. and then decide how they wanted to react. Right. Because by that point, I mean, I had already kind of worked through a bit of an existential crisis, trying to figure out whether I wanted to stay in the church or whether I was going to pursue a same-sex relationship and, and had a period of, of about a year where I was exploring dating men. And by this point, I had decided that I wanted to stay in the church, but I was also had decided that I was going to be more open about it. Hmm. How, how old are you at this point? 25. Okay. 25, I think. 24, 25. I think 25. So sent this letter to both of my parents, said, you know, um, my niece was getting baptized. So I went home on a Sunday, went to the baptism, gave him the letter, was out of there as fast as I could get out of there. And, but, and so my mom called me the next day and she was, you know, she wanted to talk about it and my dad, but my dad didn't call me for a week. It took him a while. Okay. And my dad grew up in a very small Idaho town where I think, again, it was his idea was again, these extreme stereotypes. So his first response to me, so he, when he got back with me, he's like, I'd like to come down and take you out to lunch and talk. So his first, one of his first comments anyway, was he said, do you remember that day in Boston? Huh? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> right. Cause it was very awkward. And again, very eccentric. And he said, so that's what you're into. Uh. That was his response. And, and I said, no, I, you, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. And so, um, it, but it would took, probably took him about a year, I think to probably feel like he not even really understood it, but could kind of under kind of understand it. And, could maybe feel at ease about it, but we never had a lot of conversations about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know all what his processing was like, but you know, that was, that was our initial conversation. And, and, and so given that being your initial conversation, like how do you then expound from it? Because if it's like, Hey, this is what you think. And I don't know that I, that I have the words or that I'm the, I'm comfortable to be able to change your mind as to as to how I am like you're still discovering it right so now you could probably put much better words to what you were feeling and how to kind of you needed support and those things but at that time you're just like yeah I'm not that but still I mean gay and you've said and I want to be clear uh, I said gay earlier you said homosexual do you prefer one over the other do you feel like one means something more than the other uh, no, at the time that was the language okay. that I, probably, I don't even know that I, I would have used that language, but gay, I mean, the history of the words have different things, right? You used to have gay homosexuals and non-gay homosexuals, right? So okay. gay was sort of this liberal progressive gay liberation sub movement, right? There was a, a, a sub movement of the kind of the sexual revolution. And so you, you had people who were homosexual, but didn't identify as gay. And then you had gay homosexuals. And so, I mean, our language has evolved. I mean, mm -hmm. to the, today it's like you say, I'm attracted to men. They're like, oh, you're gay. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's well, not which is, which is interesting as we engage with the church too, because you say I'm attracted with men and we don't go, you're gay. We say you're same sex attraction. And then that's a whole issue, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. For sure. For sure. All language has its own history and baggage and, you know, presuppositions went on. So, uh, but no, so I, there was a period of time. I don't identify as gay. Mm -hmm. I used to, there was a period of time that I did. Uh, and this is all part of the evolution that happened since then. So when I had this conversation, when I decided to come back to the church, I was gay and I'm, but I'm going to be faithful. Mm -hmm. And this was my, my commitment. But I also believed I was quite certain uh, 
that I was not going to get married. I mm. couldn't see that in my future, mm. but I believed enough and was committed enough and had some pretty meaningful spiritual experiences that I was, I was in regardless of what that looked like. How so, come you didn't think you could get married just because like that attraction to a woman you didn't think could develop or just because like for me, a, a part of my twenties, I was like, I'm never getting married, but it wasn't because of that. It was just like, I don't see how anything or how this would work or, or what I would be or do and, and have that. Yeah, I had spent, I dated so much in high school. And, and you know, high school dating is different than college dating, yeah. right? Just yeah. having fun. But it, but I dated so much. And and then after my mission, I really kind of jumped into dating and was going to follow that, you know, the get married quickly. And, and I thought it would be different after my mission, but it really wasn't. Hmm. Because before my mission, you didn't really have to worry. I'm going to go on a mission. And right. so I, you're not supposed to get serious. So it just, I, there was that out, you know? Mm -hmm. But I never really felt anything other than having fun with friends, you know, on date on these dates. And uh, but then post mission, you're supposed to be feeling things more. And I right. felt like I was constantly hitting this wall, and kind of the square peg round hole kind of thing. Like it just wasn't like it didn't. I struggled with it, right. and I always felt like I was kind of in this stuckness and couldn't quite get past whatever this thing was. But for a long time, and I think I was probably home from my mission maybe two years before I even started to come to some acknowledgement of what I was feeling or started to, to um, own it. Mm -hmm. And, and I think part of that was because I had this existential crisis because for me, it was always a spiritual problem growing up, right? This okay. is a spiritual problem. And if I can just be more righteous, if I can follow the gospel more and do these things, you know, it will tie. If you would just pray a little harder, it would go away. And that's what I, I mean. I did. I, I wouldn't have to have had those words, but I did probably have some kind of a pray the gay away mentality. Mm -hmm. right? And um, and but I was but after my mission, I was working at the temple and I was uh, teaching at the MTC and I'm at BYU and I'm doing all of these things. And I felt good. I felt like I was growing spiritually. And I but as I was. Even as I felt like I was growing spiritually, the feelings were getting stronger, not weaker at that time. Mm -hmm. And and now I have a different perspective on why that may have been. But at the time, I didn't. All I knew was that this paradigm that I'd been operating in had been completely shattered. And I was devastated because mm -hmm. I didn't know what that meant. And I always played this little dialogue in my head where I would, you know, I'd be walking to school, walking home from school. And I was like, okay, if I had the chance to be physical with a guy, would I? Mm -hmm. No. Okay, good. I'm not gay. Right. That yeah. was this, that was this dialogue. Right. Yeah. And then I remember one night, it was like this very, it was a very distinct moment. I had, the, I had been, I was teaching the MTC and had this very powerful spiritual evening, like with these, these uh, missionaries that I was, had been with. And I somehow I kind of wandered into this dialogue as I'm walking home from the MTC and feeling the spirit. And I couldn't say no anymore. And all of a sudden that to me was sort of scary and devastating. And I didn't know what that meant. And that's where it all kind of came. The paradigm kind of started kind of crashing down. Right. And so that was the first time I ever decided. And because of that, I thought I need to talk to somebody. And so I went and talked to my bishop at the time just to, to say it out loud. Maybe I didn't even really know what I was looking for. I just knew that I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so he recommended, he was okay. I mean, it wasn't an awesome response, but it was, it was okay. Yeah. He recommended a therapist and at, at BYU. Uh, and so I started seeing somebody at BYU who was, you know, helpful. Give me an idea. And what year is this? This is again, probably about two years after my mission. I think, um, so I got, I served from 97 to 99. Okay. So this is, er this is early two thousands. This is pre prop eight in California. 
Uh, yeah, this is, this is a good time before we started really having the discussion within the walls of the church. Right. Because at the time, the only article, still the only resource that was really out was this 1995 article that Elder Oaks had written. Mm-hmm. And now, and then, you know, and then, you know, it's been an explosion since then, but, um, but, but so that was kind of the thing. So I think this was, this was probably 2002 or three. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause it was 2004. Well, probably 2002. Cause 2004 is when our, uh, my first book that I co-authored with, uh, Mer- uh, Fred and Marilyn Mattis came out. So that came out in 2004. And so I think this was probably 2001, 2002. Okay. So two to years after my mission. Okay. And you, so you have this experience with the bishop. You're not really sure what you're going to say or what you want him to say. You just want to be able to to start because you you felt this thing that the all the answer had always been, no, I don't want to be physical with a guy. And then it was like, oh, wait, yes, yes, I do. And that the spirit accompanied that moment. So, so that there is a large bridge from where you are now, which is married with kids. So fill in, fill in some of that. <laughs> uh, this is a long journey. So sure, sure. Uh, after, so I went through about a period, I'm going to try to do the digest version. So I went through a period of about a, well, so after I, once I started meeting with that counselor, I was going to work this in the church. We were going to fig- figure this out in successions and mm-hmm. I was going to be able to move on with my life mm-hmm. and it didn't quite work out like that. Uh, I, there was a year that I still felt pretty confident though, that this was going to get resolved in the way that I wanted to, it to be. And I could move on and start dating. That didn't work out. Uh, but I was still felt very alone, even though I had was talking to a therapist and I had met with a Bishop, I'd never talked with anybody who had similar experience. Hmm. So at some point in there, I think I just wanted to confront that aloneness, you know, uh, before, uh, me too became a political movement, Brene Brown, who a lot of people know that name. She, uh, she, she said something to the effect of, you know, two of the most powerful words in the English language are me too, right? Mm-hmm. That we want, we want to have that, that feeling of aloneness. We want to have uh, no, you know, we want the me too experience with, to talk with other people who have similar life experience. Right. Sure. I mean, we find it within the gospel as well, right? Like if we're, right. if we're living in a different community, there's not a lot of people that feel the same way that we do. We love it when we say, I'm a Mormon, me too, or I'm a yep. member of the Church of Jesus Christ uh-huh. of Latter-day Saints. But uh-huh. often we just say Mormon because oh, that's a lot of words. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so then, uh, so then I started tr- trying to reach out to find other people, but at the time this was still, I mean, there wasn't, I mean, we didn't have social media. I, I mean, there was, you, you, I mean, there wasn't really a way, I mean, I mean, I wasn't aware of like online groups or anything. So I was trying to figure out how to find people and the few avenues that I kind of could start to find people and meet people, people were either really conflicted, mm. uh, which wasn't helpful. Or, or like kind of, and kind of, you know, in this place that I didn't want to be. Right. And I remember I went to, I went to a support group once where, um, I, I mean, there was somebody there that had been attending for about 10 years and he still was just in this really conflicted place. And I'm like, I'm not doing this in 10 years. Yeah. So that was kind of discouraging. And then the other people that I could find who, you know, at least proclaimed to be happy were people who were, you know, kind of either doing a double life thing or they were on their way out of the church or they were out of the church. And so, I still felt in this kind of stuck in between alone place because I couldn't find anybody that seemed to want to do this the way that I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that was lonely. Uh, but then, and, and it probably, and I was probably, and then somewhere in there I thought, okay, maybe I just need, I just need to date to figure out if this is what I want or what's going on. And so, but I knew that I wasn't going to be in support groups in 10 years, still feeling conflicted and torn and, you know, right. having sex on the side and whatnot. So 
I just decided that I was I was just going to start dating. I was going to do this in a you know a conscious, intentional way. And when you say dating, dating men, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. And so, uh, and so there was probably a period of like a, eight months to a year ish that I was you know dating, and I was in a couple of short term relationships, but relationships that were that I enjoyed. Like I liked getting to know, and I liked I mean the experience of closeness and affection and companionship and all those sorts of things. Sure. I, I mean, there were, and it was a moment, it was a time for me where I think I just was able to finally kind of separate because there were things where, that I really wanted. And it was a lot of the closeness and the connection and that wasn't really gay, but guys don't typically do that. Like, but didn't really have to be gay, but it was. And I couldn't really disentangle what I really wanted was this closeness and connection and, mm-hmm. um, you know, more emotional intimacy with the other stuff that I felt like this you have to take it's a package deal Mm. you have to get those and so over time though i think i started to at least differentiate what it was that i really wanted as opposed to just or what i needed as opposed to what just felt good Hmm. Hmm. and so um so i'm kind of you know sorting through this internally and then at some point i had this very strong well there was probably about two or three spiritual experiences uh that I won't spend a lot of time with, but that really just were very, very shifting and led me to just decide I'm in and, and I'm going to make this work. And so I was seeing a guy at the time called things up with him and just recommitted, but didn't see myself getting married. And I really believed in, and part of one of those experiences was just forget marriage, focus on me one day at a time. Hmm. Today's meant today. Hmm. Uh, let's take a break right here. And we come back in the second block. I want to pick it up to, you know, today's my day. I'm I'm me. We're going alone, but I got this. I'm in. I'm all in. We'll come back and we'll do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. This is Kurt Frankum from Leading Saints, and I'd like to take a moment to visit the back row of the Cultural Hall to let you know of an incredible virtual conference we are putting together. Have you ever had a deep desire to make room for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints in your local ward and community, but don't know the first step? Or maybe you've served in a leadership position and you want to set a strong example of inclusion but aren't quite sure where to start. In order to help, we are putting together the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit in order to help Latter-day Saints better minister to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We've selected more than 20 presenters who have professional experience, personal stories, and leadership perspectives who will help all of us be better prepared to minister to LGBT Latter-day Saints. This is a great conference for family, friends, and ward members of LGBTQ individuals. It begins September 8th, and you can register by texting the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, won't you please become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall? You can go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall and you get to see things like uh, this video. You guys that are just listening, you don't hear that Ty has a fan in the background or that I'm a sweet, sweaty mess as we're talking. But if you are a Patreon saint, you get to see the videos of every episode that we record and you get them right after they happen. It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall as little as $3 a month. I mean, you pay for Netflix. It entertains you. Think of it as Netflix for your ear holes. We would love to have you there. And don't forget that you also become a part of that secret 
but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints hang out and talk about the different episodes and the things that they love and the things that they'd like to hear more of and the questions that they have and, and all the stuff. It's a very interactive group. Patreon.com slash The Cultural Hall. So, Ty, uh, I want to make sure that we have enough time to speak about where you're at now, and I also want to be able to speak about North Star as well. So uh, let's pick this up. And uh, for kids that don't remember the fast forward on uh, their VHS machines, I want to make sure we hit it, but I want to make sure that we get through it as well. Okay. So let's pick up. You're, you've decided, all right, I am in, but marriage, pfuh, pfuh. Yeah. Which, which I know that feeling of a lot of young people just within the church, hetero or homosexual, right? They're just like, yeah, forget it. I'm done. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I started to, um, well, so I was in, kind of finished up at, uh, finished up my degree at BYU, moved to D.C. after that, um, bringing that piece full circle, moved to D.C., was going to take the foreign service exam, work for the State Department, get back to China, hopefully. That was kind of the intent. Uh, and then, because I'd spent a couple of summers there previously. And then, uh, but it's somewhere in that time, I uh, again kind of felt this real kind of shift, uh, felt moved, led to go back to school and family therapy instead. And and just as I moved to DC, that's when In Quiet Desperation came out. And, and that's an older book for those who haven't heard of it. Uh, Fred and Marilyn Mattis, their son committed suicide. Mm-hmm. In California during Prop 22, or the Night Initiative, which, which was sort of the precursor to Prop 8, and very public. I mean, he committed suicide on the steps of, of his stake center there. Elder Holland was in the area doing some regional training, so he was there at the chapel shortly after. I mean, it was very impacting uh, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so they were asked by Deseret Book to share their story they had come across something that I had written, reached out and asked if I would be willing to share my story from a personal perspective as opposed to a family perspective. So that comes out in 2004. I'm in DC. And then I start, then people start reaching out to me because, you know, my, my name is out there and I start having lots and lots of conversations with lots of different people. I start meeting more and more people who are in the church and who are happy and who, um, some of whom were married, some of whom were single. I mean, it was just, but it was open up this different world that I realized I wasn't really traveling alone. And, but I also realized as people are looking to me for answers, I'm like, I'm just on the journey. Like, I don't yeah. know yeah. what I'm doing yeah. very well, other than like, I love Jesus and I'm, you know, I want to stay in the church. But yeah. That's- I got the Jesus part guys, the rest, listen, it's day to day. It's day to day here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, but then started doing some more therapeutic work out there. Like I started to realize I still carried a ton of shame and just wanted to do some deeper work through the shame and a lot of the insecurities that I had around a lot of it. So, and that was very helpful, very healing. And I think I fell in love with healing. And that was part of what uh, led me to want to go back to school. And one, I fell in love with healing, but two, I wanted to know what I was talking about. Right. right. If I'm, if people are going to be reach, reaching out to me anyway, I don't want to be doing more harm than good. Yeah. I appreciate that. Not everyone shares that same sentiment. Some people, when they get reached out to and they're like, ah, listen, I'll just make this up, steal this meme, post this thing. And get, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm media. I'm the news. There it is. Take that. So I am very conscious of the fact that I'm, I'm still like, I did not want this to be a blind leading the blind mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, but I also felt like I could, I wanted to give back, you know? And so I went back to school, family, went through my master's program, uh, which it went to, 
in marriage and family therapy. And there, a slightly different intersection, I started, it was there that I, I had some, and I think this, this leads us into the marriage piece, because I think this is a really critical part of my development. But I, so I felt very strongly led to go to this particular school in the middle of West Texas, mm -hmm. which was odd, because even as I was looking just through accredited programs, I saw the name of this school, and it was a, this very spiritual experience that this is where you're going. Hmm. Never heard of the school, never heard of the town, didn't know anything about it. So that's weird. I mean, it's, it's like one of those things, like you meet somebody and it's like, you're going to marry them. You don't ever, you don't yeah, tell yeah. people. Like, yeah. Yeah. You don't lead with that on the date. Right. Yeah. So I went down to the school and there I had, but it was again, in the middle of West Texas, there were no really, there were not very many young single adults and certainly no older young single adults there. So great experience at the university, loved loved the other students, loved the faculty, but I felt very alone sure, and, and lonely. And I had this, and I was praying about that. It's like, why did you bring me here? And uh, I had this very, um, kind of this recurring impression that it was to learn meaningful solitude. Hmm. And that's where I was introduced to a lot of Eastern spiritual practices. You know, mindfulness had really sort of saturated mental health. And um, so there was sort of a, a mental health introduction, but then there was also this kind of Eastern spiritual practice I, uh, aspect of it. And, uh, and then started to develop this practice. And then, you know, years later started connecting with other people who were interested and had been practicing meditation and these sorts of things. Uh, and then last year, some colleagues and I wrote another book called this, the, the Power of Stillness, Mindful Living for Latter-day Saints. But that thread, I think being like Eastern conceptions of love are very different than Western conceptions of love. We have a strong kind of romantic and sexual and utility factor when we talk about love. We think we're talking about love, but most of the time we're talking about passion and utility. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and and so when but this be these Eastern conceptions of love, that love is not love unless it's free. And if you need the degree to which you need someone, you cannot love them. Hmm. Right. Hmm. And um because then that becomes more about utility than love. And I'm, I'm thinking about all these things and I'm like, I want to learn how to love really like, and so that became my spiritual quest was this. And then, and about those finished up my master's that was part of the kind of my journey. My master's started my doctorate. And then after that first year, I was in a really good place. And I thought if I, um, and actually one of my colleagues at, uh, later at BYU, she, uh, but who taught at BYU at the time, she had, so she didn't get married until her fifties and she was telling, we were talking about this and, and she was telling me about part of her journey. And she said somewhere in her fifties, early fifties, she was just had this cathartic moment where, where she was sitting at her breakfast or eating breakfast and thought, I'm really happy. It would require a really good man to be better than no man at all. Hmm. Right. Hmm. And and so, and then she's now married to a really good man. But I, I'm at the time I'm thinking like, I resonate with that. Like I feel really happy in my life and I can live a really good, meaningful life, even if I never get married. Hmm. And, but then all of a sudden as I'm starting to feel like I can, I'm can, you know, at the time, cause again, it's, I was trusting, well, you know, it was kind of today's man of today, but I still was like, not, can I do this, but can I really thrive into this? You right. know? And so as I reach this point at which I'm, you know, learning lots of things about mental health and all oh, that was very helpful. Meditation and contemplative practices were, were very transformative for me. And then all of a sudden I moved to my doctorate and about, about six months in, or maybe about four months in, I uh, reconnected with my wife, mm -hmm. when my now wife. I yeah. mean, she had reached yeah. out to me because she was thinking about going back to school and family therapy. 
And, but even as she reached out to me with these other questions, I had this like feeling like, this is who you're going to marry. Mm-hmm. And of course I didn't tell anybody that. And I yep. didn't even know that till later, but that, cause again, that's weird. right? Again, it's, it's funny like, that you're messaging me on social media because <laughs> I feel like you should be my wife. What was your question about going back to school? <laughs> so, and so I went back to school. She uh-huh. was, um, she was working remotely, but her family was in Utah. We were back in school over Christmas vacation. And I thought, you know, I don't, this is a weird feeling. I don't know what to make of it, but I'm going to, a date couldn't hurt. Sure. Worst case sure. scenario, I don't, I don't want to go out again. Right. So we went on a date and I had a really good time and I thought I would like to go out again. And so we just sort of, it, it was one date at a time over this kind of period of, of three weeks to a month. And I really, by the time I went, but was going back to school to start my second semester there, um, I really, really, I really kind of felt like this is where this was going. But again, we hadn't talked about it. We hadn't used the L word. I was leaving. It was just, you know, and was, so. Was she aware of where you stood in everything as far as like in in the, in the gay and not gay and Eastern love? What like did, had you had all of those discussions or no. was, no. No, no, no. So she, her family had all read in quite desperation. So everybody okay. knew my story. Okay. So there was at least an awareness. It wasn't like, hey, yeah, I've really enjoyed being able to connect. Well, what? what? We never what? had that conversation. Yeah. That said, though, I was dating her to date her, and right. she thought I was dating her to be nice. Uh. And, um, <laughs> and, or just because I was interested, because yeah. she's like, I didn't think your kind did that. Yeah. Right. She's like, every, she's like, everybody that I knew who was gay or attracted men left the church. She's like, so, I mean, to say nothing of like getting married. So that was, uh, that was, she didn't really even know what to make until a few dates in, and she said, um, I had said something, I don't remember what I said now, but she left her thinking like, is he dating me to date me? Hmm. Like, what's that? And so she spent um, all night online looking up information on like mixed orientation relationships, all of which are the horror stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you ever want to feel not great about (laughs) just like people in general, but especially like if you're thinking about a mixed orientation marriage, like hop online and type in mixed orientation marriage and you'll just be like, Oh, right. Oh, right. Okay. So this is what she's seeing. And she said she had a very distinct moment where she, where the spirit said to her, their story is not your story. Hmm. You will write your own story. Hmm. Hmm. And, uh, and so she just closed her laptop and that was the last time she ever looked anything up. Hmm. But again, that at this point we were still just dating, but she knew me and I had been friends with, again, two of her siblings I had been really close with. I loved their family. Their family loved me. And so it wasn't like, I probably, I didn't know her very well, but again, two of her other siblings I knew really well. And so it was, it was just sort of like, I want to see where this goes with Ty Mansfield, not this gay guy, mm-hmm. but Ty, like yeah. I, you know, cause I love time or I'm interested in time. So we then, so we continued to date. She then came down, she had already finished her MBA and one of her cohorts, cohort mates was now also at Texas Tech where I did my doctorate. Uh, doing his doctorate so she was like i wanted to go visit for a long time if it doesn't work out with ty i'm you know i've wanted to to visit this family so she comes down we spent four days together and at the end it was just like coming home there was just this really interested feeling of like kind of riding a spiritual wave it felt very much um orchestrated like i don't even know i can't really uh describe it any other way but it felt so good and so right in ways that dating never had yeah or hard. I mean, I, there were times that I really liked people and even went on some dates, but I still had that stuck feeling. 
But this was just, it was easy for the first time in my life. I'm 32, I'm, I was 31 at the time. I was 32 when we got married, but I'm 31 years old. And I still kind of signed up for the long haul to be single. And I thought that ship had sailed. Yeah. And then, um, but it, but after that four days and this feeling of like coming home, we then started kind of talking more seriously. Like, what does this mean? Because she had a similar feeling. Like, this is just right. Hmm. And so we, um, and then it was just, it's been, a, you know, I think, you know, from there we, you know, she then moved down, we got engaged and, you know, uh, then got married and spent the next few years there, next few years there in, in um, Texas. Uh, once I finished my coursework, we came back up to Utah where I started practicing and then I was teaching at BYU. I've been teaching at BYU for about eight years now. Okay. Let's take a break real quick. And when we come back, I want to pick that up where we are. I want, I want to make sure we talk about North Star and the great things that you guys are doing. And uh, and uh, then we ask you the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll do all that coming back in the third block. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's our ultra-mega back-to-school blowout sale. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of ultra-high-quality laptops and desktops on sale for up to 50% off the original prices. We've got demos, scratch-and-dents, trade-ins, and funny-colored computers. It's crazy! Remember, you get a lifetime service guarantee on any PC Laptops brand computer. That means if you mess up your Windows or you get a virus or spyware, it's covered forever. Got an old yucky computer? No problem. We'll take it in on trade and we'll transfer all your pictures, music, and all your stuff to your PC Laptops computer for free. When you get your computer from PC Laptops, we'll make sure you're taken care of for a lifetime. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC Laptops desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, won't you please uh, hop online and follow us on any of the social medias? Whatever one you use, you can find the Cultural Hall there. We're at the Cultural Hall, and there are messaging capabilities within each of them. Some call them the DMs, uh, or you can just message us, whatever it is. Uh, you can also email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to hear from you. Your feedback on this episode or other episodes, or if you're like, oh man, you know, you need to get Ty back. There's so much of the story that he's he is just going right over. I need to know about this and this. You can ask those questions as well. It's a great way for us to interact with you. Now, Ty, uh, you get engaged. She comes down and you get married. Do you do the typical short engagement for members of the church? We did. Nice. Uh, Good. That was not our intent. Yeah, it uh, never she, is. It's never anyone's she, intent. It's not. She was. She was going to come down, and we were going to date for a year. That was like our plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then she was feeling like we need to. So we need. Um, we need to move more quickly, and yeah. she didn't know what that meant, and I didn't know what that meant, and so but we prayed about it anyway. So yeah, so our first date to our engagement was the 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 short, five yeah. 
Mormon months. Jeez, jeez. Now, I also I love that you have said, um, you know, that that first of all, that it's it's your story, right? That this is particular for you, for mm-hmm. your, you know, and your wife has her story, and together you have your uh, collaborated story. Your, you know, your the word is not coming to my mind right now. The something story. Uh, it's interesting because there are other people who have been very um, visible in the eyes of members of the church who people kind of look to as an example, saying, look, a mixed orientation marriage can can really work. I'm talking specifically at this time probably about Josh and Lolly Weed, but there are other folks who <laughs> people who have, have really looked to, and when that in the case of the weeds, it didn't work out. They ended up not staying together and everything that came a- along with that. I think that people look at those examples and go, oh, see, I will end up like them because I have similar things than you. And people look to you guys and probably put weight on your relationship because they mm-hmm. they go, oh, they're doing it. I can do it. The importance of knowing your unique story, how vital is that? Well, critical, right? Because it's, for me, this was not, um, this was a God journey. I wasn't doing it because other people could or other people couldn't. Like this was my journey of feeling led in very particular ways. Uh, And I think everybody, everybody's journey is going to look a little different. And I think their experience with sexuality is different. And all of that informs what may be possible or not possible or happy or healthy or not, right? Mm -hmm. And I think my focus has been less on uh, I, I certainly don't ever tell people what they should do or because I, I did, you can. Mm-hmm. My focus has been more, because the problem with stories is that you hear the stories that people want to tell. Right. Most of the stories that you hear about mixed orientation marriages, you hear, I mean, Josh and Lolly are an exception because they really opened up when they, you know, he was the happy married gay Mormon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but most people aren't opening up until after the fact, Right. And this is why they left. And then now all of a sudden we, we pick up on those stories. And so a big piece for me has been too. like we don't have represent we don't have representative data on these. And I know so many people privately who are happily married, but they don't want to tell their story. They just want to blend in and move on with their life. They don't right. want to be an activist. They don't want to be public. Right. And so the challenge is that the, those story, the story, the, the ones that work typically aren't sharing their stories hmm. and the ones that don't typically are. And so I'm part of, I started this research project with kind of this liberal, conservative, collaborative dialogue group. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at kind of the four options, you know, that people choose. And that single celibate, single sexually active, opposite sex relationships, same sex relationships, Mm -hmm. specifically for sexual minorities. And in that, in that, when we did this, and again, the idea, the, the intention of the study wasn't to say what people should do or what's the best option. It was more to say, one, like, are there things that we can tell about people who are happy and healthy in each of these options? Uh, so that if someone is either, is either committed to one of those options, they know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be happy and healthy here, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Or if they're sort of where they are, they can look at each of those profiles and say, okay, you know, which one fits best for me and what do I want, right? Mm-hmm. So again, it could be this more neutral kind of assessment tool. But in that, one of the biggest sub sub uh, demographics was those in mixed orientation relationships. And we had 530 individuals. So the, the, the total sample was almost 2000. Okay. And, uh, and 530 of those were in, in mixed orientation relationships and 80% of those reported being satisfied. Hmm. And that's not the data that you get 
and and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of an apples and oranges situation because those in same sex relationships reported being more satisfied. You had like ninety five percent satisfaction, yeah. but they were less stable. You had more stability in same sex or in opposite sex relationships because uh, the average relationship length was about seventeen years, and the average relationship length in same sex was about seven years. So you just have this kind of, it's hard to compare, right? Right. right. Because it is a little bit of an apples and oranges, but people want to say, well, which is better? Yeah. And it's like, well, it depends on what you're looking for. Because even in that, the people who, you know, were more likely to choose same-sex relations, or sorry, opposite-sex relationships and more likely to be satisfied were people for whom having their own children was a really high, important value for them. Mm. So different people are in different places and, um, and everybody's navigating in this in very personal ways. So my kind of my shtick is, there are there are healthy and unhealthy ways for any of these paths that you might want to choose. Yeah. So what is the if this is what you want and these are your values? What are what is the healthy way to do it that is most likely to predict satisfaction and and sustainability? And that's where the the conversation around mixed orientation relationships is is really in most circles about as shallow as I met somebody or I know people who for whom it didn't work and they don't work. Right. But there's not. The, the really good research is much more nuanced and there are certainly ways to navigate relationships in ways that are healthy, satisfied, sustainable. Some would say it's just mental gymnastics, right? That you have just sort of finagled your way that you can be happy that, you know, whatever that thing is. And, and you guys have kids as well, correct? Mm-hmm, fine. Yeah. And so people, yeah. So, so sometimes people will be like, okay, that's fine. Mixed orientation, but don't bring kids into it. It's it's crazy to me as we had that conversation with Skylar and Amanda and people can go back and listen to that. It's episode number 436 of the the Cultural Hall. They talk about all about how they engaged into into uh, a mixed orientation marriage and how they want to make it work as well. There are so many people that have so many opinions and and I have really appreciated the people that are just like let people do what they want. Why why are anyone involved why is anyone involved in another person's relationship unless they've come to you as a counselor, as a, you know, an ecclesiastical leader or they've come to you and said, "I I would like you to be a part of this particular path and journey for me." Why is it anyone's business? But Got yet, a question? Yeah, well, no, but I but 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 then yeah, yeah. but then we make it part of people's business. I'm sure that you have maybe not daily, but accounts where people will come to you will come to your wife and say things like yeah but it, it, but really but like is it well be- before we even got married someone had uh published a website which was an open letter to my wife mm-hmm. and it was danielle don't do it.com <laughs> and and so um people have very and of course and of course the letter references carolyn pearson and emily pearson and again the, all the uh, kind of the tragic stories and i think th- I think we need to be more open uh, in terms of, because there are people for whom, who are saying, I want to be married. And I'm like, I don't think you have any business right now pursuing a relationship with anybody because they're just not very healthy. Right. And I've seen people go into relationships where I would, I would say, don't right. Right. Like take some more time to, for if this is where you want to go eventually. Right. I don't think you're going to have a healthy relationship based on a number of other things. Right. So it's not like I'm just like, if you want to go do it, right? right. Here's the recipe. I think <laughs> there's a lot of like, I think there's a, I, I think it requires a high level of self-awareness, mm-hmm. uh, a personal growth, maturity to be able to, to sustain that in healthy ways. Um, but, but I do think as a, I think as a culture, we need to be just understand that these are, these are challenging paths for anybody 
to navigate or reconcile, you know, tensions between faith and sexuality. And we just need to kind of love people along the way, tell more stories, not less, right? And and let all of these stories kind of nuance and, and to some degree complicate, right, this, that we realize that this is not as simple as four letters in an alphabet hmm. and or what your orientation is or whatever it's again humans are complex humans are different sexuality is complex sexuality is different and um you know just sort of honor each person's journey uh and kind of love them along the way and be there for them and some stories are you know i, I know plenty of people who got married to someone of the same sex and are now divorced yeah. right it's not like you know you choose the right gender and, and it's kind of easy street from there there are plenty of same-sex divorces, right? So, yeah. you know, it's it's being you know, and there's this kind of the shtick. I got caught on some um, clickbaity article about <laughs> celebrities who think monogamy is unnatural, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so I was reading it. It was like, and it really came down to all these celebrities who were commenting on how why monogamy is unnatural. It was because like it's a, it basically came down to because marriage is hard and because you're sexually attracted to more than one person, and so right. you shouldn't have to do hard things, and if you should be able to have sex with whoever you want. Right. I mean, it was that it was that that simple. Right. Just to some people. And so some people are making the case that monogamy is unnatural. And to some degree, they're right. Right. I mean, to be in a long term relationship with one person requires a high level of you know commitment um, to, and values and goals that are much bigger than just, you know, what am I feeling in any given moment? You know, when people ask you what North Star is, what what is it? So North Star started uh, as a, you know, at one point there was, it was Evergreen and Affirmation were kind of the two main ministries. Evergreen was a little bit more therapeutically focused uh, uh, and uh, Affirmation was very much like community, right? It was, these are people who have experience, we're gay, we're leading this. And you didn't have that as much with Evergreen. You know, it was, again, a lot of therapeutically oriented, you know, at the conferences, you know, therapists were presenting and whatnot. And so part of it was for like, it was a group of us that wanted to say, wanted a little bit more of an organization that was going to buy the people for the people that had, it was a little bit more of a correlate to what affirmation was, but for people who wanted to stay in the church, more of the voices of those who were navigating these issues personally. And, um, and, you know, Evergreen and, you know, North Star kind of coexisted kind of separately uh, for a period of time. But North Star really was ultimately that it started in the garage with just, we're a community group and we have some online groups and then, eventually um, started doing conferences and, you know, you know, connected with people like Kurt. And so it's been a journey of just ultimately trying to provide, uh, not being prescriptive of any path, but trying to provide a safe place for people who want to explore this or navigate this within the church uh, to do that. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And both in terms of, you know, mental health, but also community aspects and that Me Too factor again. It can be, it's really healing to show up in this place where it's like, oh my gosh, like all these people are like me in some way. Right. And that, that alone can be very healing. Yeah. So we've now been, we started in 2006. So we've, we're now about 14 years. Yeah. And, and there's a a series of like, like, so now today, 2020, it's, I can find uh, resources for counselors and articles. It's, it's, it's the in and everything as far as um, if you want to, I love that you said, I want to make a go. I want to make a go with this. I want to I want to try and figure my way through it. And, and if it's with the church and without the church, it's not officially sponsored by the church, right? It sort of runs adjacent. Very, very intentionally not affiliated with the church. Yeah. Um, what supportive of the church, but 
they, you know, the church doesn't want to take responsibility for what third party resources are doing. Right. We're our own thing. Um, again, we, we want to help people navigate this faithfully within the church, but keeping the church itself kind of at arm's length and vice versa. Yeah. You know, our time is short, and I hate that because there's about 50 million questions. Literally, uh, I counted 50 million. That's how many I've written down. Questions that I would like to ask you. Maybe we can get you to come back on and we can kind of dial down on some of that again in the future. It only took us eight years to get you on this time, so maybe it'll be a little less um, before the next time. I want to, before I get to the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, remind folks to text the word LEAD to the number 474747 or go to leadingsaints.org. It's this LGBT Saints Virtual Summit begins September 8th of 2020. If you're listening in the future and that date has already passed, you can hit Kurt up over at Leading Saints and say, hey, what about that? And he'll be able to point you towards the LGBT Saints Virtual Summit. But if you're hearing this beforehand, text the word LEAD and sign up for that. It's free to do so. Ty, let me ask you, uh, the first question is, do you have a calling, sir? And if so, what is it? Um, no, I was a Cub Scout leader until Cub Scouts dissolved. Okay. And then as things were sort of shifting around, Corona hit. Yeah. So but- I have been happily calling less <laughs> for about eight months now. Yeah. So when you see the bishop's phone number show up on your phone here in the coming months, you'll be like, well, I don't know. I know what this means. I'm either right. speaking in actual church or he's got something for me to do. If you could pick a calling, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? My favorite calling of all time for, I think most of my adult life, I've been in some kind of like elders quorum teacher, Sunday school teacher. And I love it. I love teaching. And that's been my Something in particular? Do you like the elders quorum more than the Sunday school? Uh, What would, yeah, Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then subject wise, are you an Old Testament Sunday school guy, a New Testament? Are you, you know, church history? Uh, Where are you? I'm a New Testament Book of Mormon. Those two, my favorites. Cool. Then the last question we ask everyone, and interpret this however you will, the question remains what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith? Um, that's hard, right? Because we're talking, that could be theological or ecclesiastical, whatever. However. Um, my favorite part of my faith. Uh, I, well, I'm just going to say recently, the, my favorite part of my faith has been uh, exploring solitude and this sort of contemplative, the intersections of kind of contemplative thought, meditation, mindfulness, and the intersections with Mormonism and Latter-day Saint spiritual practice and getting into that uh, over the last several years has enriched my faith, particularly in terms of my communion with God in ways that have been very, very transformative. I love it. If people are listening to this and they're like, man, Ty is a guy that I need to talk to. I have questions. They want to see some of your work, be able to get all that stuff. Where do you point people to for you? Uh, right now they, well, there's not a lot for me on, of me online, but if they, if they go to timemansfield.com, that takes me, takes them to my professional profile, but I'll soon have a, a web personal website up in place of that, that will cover everything from professional work to personal things, talks, lectures, things that I've given. That'd probably be the best place to go. Okay. Great resource. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row 
of the cultural hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the cultural hall show. 